Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast, where we help B2B founders take their companies from startups to scale-ups. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I'm excited to bring back Tim Cato for our 100th episode. Tim was actually guest number one on the podcast back in June of 2019. Tim is a senior partner at Force Management and has over 40 years of experience in sales, sales management, professional development, professional and business consulting. I can go on and on. But really, he's a go-to leader in the area is helping companies of all sizes really articulate their value drivers and differentiation. And this has never been more important, especially as a startup and helping them use that as a competitive advantage. In this episode, a couple of the topics we discuss are selling into your network is very different than selling outside of your network. And we talk about this one all the time on the podcast and how to make that transition, how to approach the new digital first world. You know, the pandemic has basically forced the acceleration of digital first, in some cases, digital only. So how can founders take advantage of that? Differentiation experience have to be the core offering and messaging, and we'll get into the details on how how to think about that and how to do that, plus a whole lot more. If you're serious about growing your business, then this episode with Tim is a must listen. He brings, like I said, decades of experience on both the buyer side and sales side, plus he's spent the last 10 to 15 years, I believe, working with high growth SaaS companies. So he's been there, he's done it, he's seen it, and he's been super successful. So I think you'll get a lot of value out of this episode. So enjoy, and now on to the episode. Hey, good morning, Tim. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Brett, how you doing? Good to be back. Uh, it's great to have you. And I cannot believe you were actually, I would call you, you were guest one. So episode technically two, June 25th of 2019, we started this journey. I'd say we started together, but you actually kicked off the journey for me. So I appreciate Well, I, it was definitely together, but my, how much has changed since then, huh? Yeah, not much is new, huh? Not much, not much. <laughs> but that's why I thought it was actually a really good time to get you back on the program. As like I said, you, we were talking offline a little bit. Yours is still the most listened to episode that we've had. I think it was the messaging and positioning we talk about that. But as a reminder for folks who may not have caught episode number two, <laughs> maybe a little bit about your background and, and what you're doing today and who you work with today. And then we'll we'll jump into the topic. Well, Brett, I have been a, I'm a salesperson. That's what I do. I have been doing various forms of selling, sales management, sales leadership, and a little stints in marketing from time to time. But I have been in front of customers trying to make sure that you execute what it is you do at the point of sale. That's kind of my specialty, helping people put themselves in the best position to win and then actually finalize the deal and then deliver on the deal. So that's what I do today. I'm a senior partner at a firm called Force Management. We specialize in helping people win bigger, better, faster deals. That, that, that's what we do. And as such, I play a variety of roles at Force Management. The one that people see me play most often is on a screen like this, helping organizations install our methodologies and and make them work in their selling environment. Yeah, and I think you're understating what you actually do in your career. Because the other thing, not only the sales, and we'll get into 
some of the difference with what we call people think of sales and how to actually sell are, are different. But you also worked and trained buyers for a, for a stint as well. So that's what I really love. You get it and you understand it from the people who are trying to sell and the people who are trying to buy. Yeah, about 30% of the time I, I have worked in my career with the people that buy for a living. And I often tell sellers, the ones that are on the receiving end of our sales approach. And I actually got, got into that with an initial interest in being more credible with sellers, as you said. But in reality, I found there were a lot of very similar challenges on that side of the table as on the side that we normally find ourselves on. Yeah, no, and it, it's good. And I've been talking a lot recently about buyer enablement. Let's get away from sales enablement. I'm like, customer doesn't care how you enable the sale. It's how do I buy and take the friction totally out of agree. the process? And last time you were on, we talked a lot about value drivers, differentiation, positioning and messaging. And I thought we could revisit that one. Now we're post-pandemic. Almost everything we're doing is the way we're chatting today, right? Is, is delivery through via. And I think the customer's, a lot of the time the data is showing prefer this, right? You don't have to be face-to-face necessarily when they want to buy something. So I thought I would tee it up maybe where, you know, we talked a little bit about the founder-led selling and I think we kind of agreed that, you know, a lot of the founders can sell with passion and enthusiasm into the network they know and can get the sale. But if we take it from the approach of, all right, now we're moving from startup to scale up, right? Other people are going to have to do the messaging. We're going to have to have our messaging online. You know, I'd really kind of like to get your perspective on, all right, we're starting to get to this point. You know, how should I frame it up? If I'm a founder starting to scale, I love Tim. How should I be thinking about this? Right, right. Well, you know, it is an interesting but beautiful challenge to go from startup to scale. Think about it. Startup in the early stages, you think you have an idea. You're thrilled when someone actually buys something from you because it's your idea is good. There's some validation. Then you start having some success and you're feeling really good about yourself. But you at some point will run into the wall or ceiling, if you want to put it that way, where you realize you being successful doing the business has a creates a challenge in you running the business. And for a lot of folks, the energetic founder that you talked about, they got it going. They maybe surrounded themselves with a couple of the uh, initial core group that get it the same way they do. And there's that tight culture and we all understand it. And I trust these four or five people. They trust me. It's great. And then at some point in time, you're in one of those meetings that used to be three hours in a coffee shop dreaming about what will be. Now it's, it's, it's 10 minutes on the phone or a Zoom meeting because we all got different places to go. And you realize we got a barrier to growth and the barrier is us. And maybe even that founder, the barrier to growth is him or her. They love the business. They got great passion, but they hit that wall or that ceiling and they realize to get to scale up, some things have to change. And Brett, in a weird kind of metaphor, I I will talk about what we all likely went through probably about a year ago today. All right. It's been about a year ago. We realized this pandemic thing is going to be serious. It's not going to be just a few weeks and business stopped. And what I found through our own experience 
organizations that hit that wall that were able to push through had to make some changes. They had to pivot from what was comfortable and they had great passion around and maybe differentiated them to now they have to come up with a different way. In our case, we flew to locations and we conducted sales training. Big hotels, big ballrooms, anywhere from 80 people to 1,000 people. Right. Well, guess what? That's just not happening. So we could moan about things. We could all hide for a while in the shell, as you can imagine. That's not acceptable. So you got to pivot at that moment. And that's where I think for moving from scale up to startup, you got to take a little bit of your own medicine. Because, you know, we talked about it before, Brad. My view of selling is that it's just problem solving. Yes. What are things like now? What's the impact of it? How would you like them to be? What good things would happen? Unless you and I figure out the requirements you're going to have to put in place unique to you and your organization that help you get from here to there, right? And if I can do that, then that puts me in a position to then say, here's how I think I can help you solve your problem based on the specific requirements that you decided on customer. So I think, okay, well, let's take our own medicine now. This is the way we did business before the shutdown. What are we going to do to be able to get to the after state? What are our requirements going to be? Quick example for someone like me, I had to learn more about Zoom than I ever thought I would need to know, right? And, and different ways to deliver when I can see you on a screen this big, but I can't be in the same room with you. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, how do I translate the energy? How do we translate the experience? Well, I happen to be sitting down right now, but most of the time I deliver, I'm standing up. You are one of a hundred people on my screen, but I can see all of you, not just the 20 people in the tables right in front of me. I can see all of you. I could call on you. I could keep you engaged. I could send you breakout groups. Hey, problem solving. Figured out what we wanted. Adjust the requirements accordingly. So what happens when that goes on in our business? We've, we've been successful. We've got something started, but now we've hit that wall. So what's the difference where we're at and the negative consequences? I can't get to all the business I have. What a beautiful problem. Yeah, a good problem to have. Right? Exactly. But it's still a problem. And in fact, if that problem exists too long, I maintain it'll have an impact on the success you're currently having. Right? Up till that in that startup, you're establishing a brand. You start failing at scale up, guess what? It impacts your brand. You right. know, the unreliable, don't deliver on what they said company. And that's not a brand we want. So I think it's an important problem that we've got to address and then get back to those requirements. If I'm that energetic founder and I realize there's only so much I can do. And I know it's not exactly the same thing, but we've got a wedding coming up in our family recently or in, in a few weeks, actually. And we're going to host a little soiree the night before at our house. So we start looking around the house. You know, the honeydew list just was <laughs> Yep. But there was a lot of touch-up paint. And I said, why don't we just get a painter in here and whoop, take care of it one day, then I can do all this other stuff. Well, the guy showed up today. And one of the first things he said is, I know we could do all this work. The thing I'm concerned about, Tim, is if we can get it done in time. We're slammed right now. I'm like... Well, that's my number one requirement is getting this done. So I, why we don't even have to talk anymore. 
You know, I thought we were done. And then the guy said, well, there's a lot of that going on right now, but I understand you got this event. So what I'd like to do is walk through here and get a sense of what you want to get done. And if it's okay with you, I'll give you an idea of if you can be the priority, we could talk about where's that line that I can get stuff done and then beyond. And, you know, he was pretty smart, Brett, because I had some must-haves and some nice-to-haves. Yeah. And so we went back and forth, you know, and I'll tell you more about this experience. And while it was B to C, it basically was a B to B kind of conversation. I could have been a business. Sure. Getting ready for a grand opening. But the way he dealt with it was actually really good. But he told me I had to pivot. He said, I'm the owner. I, I, you, this was at 830 this morning. He said, you're my third call. What's one of the changes he had to make? Well, I'll own my own business. I could get in when I want to. Well, not anymore. <laughs> when is it convenient for you? And he said, I'm going all day. And what I realized is I had to set up systems that allowed the business to run when I was out selling. And he said, the initial thought was maybe I should get a salesperson to do this for me. The reality is I'm really good at sales, but what I got are two I don't know what the word to use, but I'm going to basically say project managers, foremen that are much better at getting to jobs, getting them set up. They could both manage four crews at once instead of one. So I basically doubled my capacity just in the last couple of weeks. Maintain the quality. Right. So he's making an adjustment to be able to address the big problem he has, which is he had hit the wall. And owning that business all of a sudden wasn't as much fun for him. <laughs> there were limits on what he could do. And if he could find a way to break through it, Zoom. He said, "This is, I've just now started to get back to going and dealing with people live. I was one of the only painters in this area that did a, a web meeting. And I had to do the people just walk around with their phone. Show me the project. Let, oh, let's talk. And he said, I, I never would have believed you could have done quotes virtually. Yeah. And people probably are not going to want to go back once it's, once it's there, if you can do that. And there, there's so much good that we can unpack from that. So there's some kind of a micro and a macro from the micro that that point that you made about understanding what the customer's priority is, is such a big deal. I know that's probably getting more into negotiation a little bit, but I think too often we get at an individual level of what's important to us and maybe not the buyer. And you're right, even though they want you want the quality of the paint, you want it to look great, all these other things, but your number one requirement was timing. And I think way too often we, we get that wrong in the sense of we're trying to force our priorities on what the customer wants. And it could be a super simple, maybe this isn't simple, but just to, to way to, to frame that. But I do want to go back to kind of the, the thing you talked about, the ceiling. And it's interesting because since we've chatted on the podcast, I've had quite a few founders that have actually gone through that process and are now what I would call high growth companies. So they hit the one, they hit the 10, and almost every one of them hit that plateau. And what I try to dig into is like, why, right? Why was the million dollars arbitrary? What was about that number? And to a person, it was that's when they ran out of their own network, right? They were successful in selling to their network. The longer they'd been in business, the more people they know, the bigger the business got. But at some point, you got to reach people that you don't know. And whether it's cold calling or digital, we can get into that. But some of them figured out, but most of them don't. And I thought maybe that would be a good jumping off point to say, hey, 
you got a good product, you figured out, you figured out why people are buying it. How the hell do I reach people that, that I don't know and drive, you know, kind of that business. So that makes sense. Absolutely. Because it is the version and maybe it's the biggest challenge for founders. And I, and I've started my own business as well. And I know this one firsthand, but I've worked for 40 years with people that have started their own business. And, and I've walked away with two realizations. Realization number one, there is something called crazy founder syndrome. Right? <laughs> that, that is absolutely a reality. This success has caused me to believe everything I do will work. Crazy founder syndrome. I've been, I've been really successful because I've had these unbelievable standards that I'm going to make sure everyone lives up to. That's fine. Comes a time when crazy founder syndrome actually works against you. The second thing I know is true is we've got to be able to stare that person in the mirror and say, you're the problem. You've been, you've been the asset right now. You are part of the problem, if not the main cause of the problem. And I want to focus on that second part for yeah. a minute. Because when, when, when you think about it, I know on the last time we talked, they talked about the growth curve. In startup phase, you're just trying to figure out the pattern of success. Then you get partway through that and you realize, wow, the, when I do these six things, it works. So now what I do to grow my business, I just make sure everybody's focused on those six things. I put process around it. I maybe put systems or technology or people. I get everything aligned on those six things. And Brett, maybe one of those things is I call on my network. They know me. They trust me. Why I do these six things with people that know me, it works. Then I get to that wall, right? And what I start to realize, maybe those six things, there's two of those that are still really, really relevant. But there's four of those, the way I say we have to do it with people that already know us, are actually getting in the way. And so you go from figure out the pattern, repeat the pattern, to now the most difficult thing to go from startup to scale up, I got to change the pattern. I've got to be willing to do something different. Is it projects are going to go on without me being the one leading them? Is it I have to be able to trust my team to take it from here? Is it I bring in technology to help us? Is it I consider the needs of a different market that I'm trying to target? I, I don't know what that thing is, but the hardest thing you will ever do as a founder is to admit that what got you here is going to block you from going where you want to be. And that is, that is at one level extremely practical, but at a bigger level is really emotional, especially yeah. for those people that have that great passion. Now, what happens? Some organizations, some founders look at that and they say, actually, this is what I want. It's, a, it's as much a lifestyle business, I think we use that phrase, sure. as it is a business. But a whole lot of others say, I, I got to make a change. And, and I believe, you know, being a, a child of the 60s, there's a thing called the cosmos. And when a change needs to occur, you either lean into it, make the change, or if you stall, the cosmos will send you increasingly more stringent messages that it's, wow, this is making me crazy, all right? I, th I should change it at some point. Then you get to, this is not only making me crazy, it's making my spouse and my family crazy and my employees crazy. 
I better change something. At some point you get to, if you don't make the change, I'm now losing business. This thing I've built, I'm losing money. The, The messages just start increasing. So I say, why not accept it and lean into that change? And, and as I said, it's emotional on many levels. And this is where the look, the, the person in the mirror moment comes in to be willing. And I'm going to give you my, what would I recommend someone do? Be willing to look at yourself and do as an objective, an assessment of what served you well to this point that's going to get in the way going forward. And sometimes you need help with that. Because you're so close to it, you can't see it. Feedback from customers, those people that are around you, or your network, whatever. But being willing to do that, I think actually can be the key to opening up. So with all the passion and belief you have in your business, being willing to step back and say, as great as it is right now, what's wrong with it? Well, it's definitely easier said than done. Because even the founders that did get through that that threshold or the ceiling, it took them much longer because they didn't want to let go or they didn't know where to let go. And I was looking for, I actually had a guy who was on Shark Tank. It was the Bebo, right? It was like this male. He was a product guy at heart. You know, he got a deal on Shark Tank. And when I had him on the show, he actually announced on the show that the business was for sale because he's like, you know what? I don't want to manage people. I don't want to grow companies. I'm, I like the product piece so somebody else can, can go and grow it. And that's, I don't hear that very often. <laughs> right? Well, that's the beautiful thing about founding your own business, right? It should be what you want it to be. And you got to understand what might be what it wants to be for somebody else might not be right for you. So I think that's an incredibly mature position. But if you're wrong, like I said, the cosmos will self-correct you right. and uh, and bring you back to, to to reality. But it's it's just something I see time and time again in my industry. It you know it it's not a million dollars; it's like ten million dollars. For some reason, organizations get to ten million dollars; they're maxed out. Unless they make a change, they will die. Yeah, it might not be next year. But I've been doing this a long time. The number of companies that were number one in their space that don't even exist anymore and haven't for a long time because they couldn't break through that one threshold. Oddly enough, there's others that said, well, we don't want to be that bigger. We want to be an $8 million company and we're going to keep things this way. And what do they do, Brent? Well, this is the second part. Once you figure out what that is, then you got to find a way to make that different and special. And use that as your opportunity. That painter that showed up this morning, I give this guy credit. He, he, he said, I've owned this business for four years. It's my dream. He was a, a paint manufacturer rep. Knows paint, does all that stuff, but finally said, I don't want to have a patch with a but I, I want to do it. I want to own my own business. And, you know, you could tell he's got some corporate, big corporate experience that he's bringing into this thing. But he has said, as, as slammed as we are right now, the plan's working. I like this. I like the getting out in front of people. And so the way I'm going to deal with the challenge of growth is put systems in, put people in, put structure in that will allow me to continue to do this. So what was his value proposition? Tim, you will always be working with me. Based on some of my experience, that was a very powerful thing. But then I love what he did next. You know, you can imagine people start dealing with me, even in a B2C experience. They're like, who is this guy? I'm like, 
I need to know because I need you to know I'll pay what you ask, but I'm going to be very demanding. He said, okay, well, you know, let's talk about what that means in two ways, Tim. I said, what? The job and the experience. I said, okay, let's get through the job part quick. What do you mean by the experience? He said, well, you can imagine my little heart, Brett. <laughs> yep. said, I got a few questions I want to ask you about your, your experience, the daily routine around here. I said, well, well, what do you mean? Well, you know, I have great respect, as does everyone in my company, for the fact this is not a job site. This is your home. So I'd like to know a little bit about the daily routine. Are there hours in the day we can't be around? The dog. If the dog gets outside, is that a problem? Tim, tell me about the way you want to have uh, be commu communicated with. And you just went through a series of seven. But the best one was you've had painting done before. What'd you like about previous job? What do you not like? And I came back to attention to detail yeah. was, was my number one thing. And I said, in this case, timing, he said, well, great. Well, I'm, I need to be real straight with you right now because this is the way we operate. We can do all this, but not in two weeks, all right? So I'm going to tell you right now, these five things we can knock out in one day. This other part of this project, which you said was lower on your priority list, Tim, we're not going to be able to get that done for you on time because what I think you don't want to have happen is the day before your party when people are showing up, we're just wrapping up the job. I don't even know if we could get to that point, but you don't want to have, you know, wet paint signs yeah, all over yeah. your party. You know what? And I respected that, but here was the thing he told me. I want my business to run in a way that you're always dealing with me. And he said, at some point, that's probably going to change, but not right now. I like it best and I think it works better for you. So what happened, Brett, and this is my long-winded way of saying, getting back to differentiation. You talked about negotiation. I think the upfront part of being able to negotiate for value because you offer something unique and special ties back to differentiation. And differentiation is all about making what makes you different relevant to the customer. Oh, this is something I see founders miss all the time in that startup phase when they're selling to their network in this guy's case, right? You already know me, right? That's what makes me special. Okay. So therefore very relevant to his customers. When he started broadening his customer base, they didn't know him from anybody else. One of 87 painters listed on, on the Angie's list or whatever. So what will make you special through his questions what he did, he said, I'm as much about the experience as the painting. And I'm going to ask you questions about the experience. Now, imagine me. I say, I pay attention to detail. The fact that he was asking me these questions, what faucet outside would you prefer we cleaned up our brushes? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the one right in the front of your house where everybody sees when they come up? Or maybe this one over on the side. A little less convenient for us, but a little more. Out I mean, just... Things like that. This guy's paying attention to detail, but what he did, he made his approach. I'm the founder. I'm going to be the one you deal with. And here's why it's important. I'm going to find out what you say is important. And that's when I'm going to make sure we deliver on the job. Made his differentiation relevant to me, right? I didn't know him before. He didn't know me before. Right. But in about the span of about a half an hour, what I believed is this guy is special which is what he found a way to do to emulate 
his network already knew he was special. But what about a stranger? What about someone that doesn't know him? He found a way to do that. So, so to me, in startup, it's knowing what makes you different and advertising that and delivering on it. Yeah. I- in scale up, you got to find a way to make what's, what's different about you relevant to a broader audience. That's, that's the step people miss. It's like, I'll, I'll stop for just a second, but always love that. Uh, do you ever see that movie Elf with the, you know, yes. the guy that, you're right? And he runs in that one restaurant that has a sign, world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> He's like, congratulations. Yeah, right. And they're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? It's just a sign. But how many folks in the B2B environment with their differentiators have some version on their website of world's best cup of coffee? Yeah. Best you know, features, best benefits. We do accounting better than anyone, you know, painting, whatever it is that we do. IT security, we're safe. And it's like, well, world's best cup of coffee. <laughs> right. Who says and why does that even matter to me? Right. You know, you're telling me you help me with security. I already know I need security. What is it about your approach to security that makes you relevant to me? And, right. I, and I think that's the... That's the step when you go to scale up, or excuse me, startup to scale up that a lot of people miss. Well, all this stuff made me unique and different before. You know, I just had to talk about it. Well, guess what? Now you're going to a different or broader audience. You got to find a way in your process to make what makes you different relevant to that broader audience. If you could do that, that serves many masters. Marketing, it serves the customer experience. As you said, it serves value-based pricing as opposed to cost-based pricing. So yeah. there's a lot that goes with that. And I do want to kind of dig into how do I, as a founder, start to get the other folks on the team educated if there's some some tips and, and tactics that we could use without giving away all of your secrets, of course. But the one thing that you mentioned, and I just, I still don't see anybody or that shouldn't that's not fair enough folks especially in the b2b space that don't understand the ripple effect of what that guy did on the sales front right he connected with you he differentiated assuming they deliver on the promise that he made you that hey we'll get these things done one you're not going to care as much about price but guess what you're going to tell 10 15 20 other people about the experience you had with this company and that's your that's your pre-sale process is your sales process from future instead of just cold calling and reaching out. It's still surprising me to this day. And I know you work with a number of really high growth companies that probably don't leverage it as well as they should either with getting your customers to share the good news, right? With other folks and save you the trouble of trying to convince them that you are better and have the world's best cup of coffee, right? It's just, there's just so many positive benefits if you can do this up front that just self-fulfilling, right? It's just going to keep perpetuating. Yeah, Brad, I, I, you know, about 20% of our customers right now are folks that are in that process. They've got their second round of funding. They're moving from startup to scale up. They got big plans. And where we come in is help them figure what that stuff is. What are your differentiators and why would that be relevant to your target market? And, and it actually ends up being a, almost an exercise of reverse engineer and forward engineer. The reverse engineer is what makes you special. In this guy's case, it was the experience. And and he wanted to make sure we knew that. So what did he do? He reverse engineered from the experience back to the discovery. I'm going to ask this customer questions that will cause them to realize there are some other things. You know, the experience does matter to me. 
it is my home. In my case, the dog's going to be more in your way because she wants love than running away. But I appreciate that you thought about that. I appreciate that you thought about what time of day. You know, I, I, I do this. This is my office in my home. Some of the places I want to work on are right on the other side of the door. I said, there's going to be time. See this little sign that says, please be quiet, recording. Um, you got to honor that. And he's writing all this stuff down. So one level is reverse engineering. The second level is forward engineering. How do I make sure now that I've established that, that differentiator, how do I make sure everybody on the team gets it? In his case, he's over-rotated on that project manager, foreman kind of job to make sure he's communicating. He said, I don't go find day laborers to do the painting jobs. You know, I have people that we've trained, we've worked on. Let me walk you through that process. So he made sure that he helped me understand what makes his stuff different. And then he made sure he's operationalized those differentiators into the way he operates. You know, in today's world, no matter what you say, Tim, we're going to wear masks. He said, well, my wife and I have been vaccinated. Yeehaw. Okay. Yeah, but we're still going to wear a mask. We're going to put the footy things on, on our shoes. But here's what we'll do about clean. I mean, all these kind of things that you say, I'm sure he's going to deliver on that. I, I am too. But here's the bigger thing. He's the only one that's going to get a chance to deliver on it. Right. Because up front, he made me realize this is the right guy. And while you're right, I'm willing to pay for that value. There is a person in the decision-making process that cares about the money, right? I said, hey, honey, here's the, what the guy quoted me this morning. And she said, wow, that, that's more than I expected. Now, imagine that moment in a B2B environment, right? Yep. The people you're working with love what you're saying, think you're a great fit for them. They say, how much? They say, I think that's doable, a little bit of a stretch. Then they got to turn around and go talk to their founder, their owner their C-level person that's going to say, wow, that's a lot. And what I want to know is in the sales side, what have you done before that moment to get your person ready for that moment to be your advocate? In my case, I said, honey, let me tell you what this guy will do and, and what is in his process. And she said, well, okay, that stuff matters. I said, by the way, I think he's, he, he can guarantee me these four things will be done in the next week. She's like, well, okay, that I needed that guarantee. All right now, what mattered to me was different for her, but the guy in his process actually covered what uh, we in business, in our business, we call it the collective yes. The collective yes. Realize that in a if you're selling into a complex organization that has multiple people with multiple interests, at some point, it's not just your point of contact saying yes. They probably got to sell it or justify it internally to somebody else. Right. So what are you doing in that establishing your differentiation, reverse engineering to figure out your discovery questions that are not just aimed at this one person, but aimed at the collective yes, which means you probably have to ask a question about their decision process. Yeah. Who besides you will be impacted by this? What, if they were in the room right now, what would they say are their top priorities? What are their requirements? And weave that in. Now, all of a sudden, guess what? I'm enabling myself to scale because I don't have to go back to a deal that got stalled. Right. 
Yeah, and ter- yeah, it just extends this the sales cycle. And I and you mentioned complex. I think it's just even in some simple sales, it's not transaction yeah. based because you're usually going to have a user, a buyer, and an approver at minimum. Usually, at any size organization, unless you're startup to startup, and then you're probably bartering anyway. Right. Exactly. But I think that's 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 really that's a tough concept for folks just getting into the business world for the first time. That well, if I'm selling direct to consumer. Still got to do, you know, like to your point, you may have a summer approver, a spouse, or somebody else that's going to be a part of it. But for the most part, it's one to one. And here you've got to think about it your value, the differentiation, and the value is going to be different for each of those folks, right? The CFO or the approver is like, mitigate the risk. I just don't want any risk with this purchase. The user's like, man, this tool sucks. Why did you buy this for me? And so, yeah, again, overly simplifying what you said, but yeah, at, at minimum, you're going to have three people usually that are going to, and even if it's the same person, you're going to may have to sell slightly different to answer and satisfy those those questions. So we don't want to make you know, this well, sound. I mean, this is the classic that we deal with our founders that are moving from startup to scale up. Here's here, I'm going to paraphrase what almost all of them believe in their heart. When I show up and talk, everybody buys. They always buy. They get my passion, they get my level of depth, and they think, well, that should be good enough. I can't, I can't get to every place now, so I'm just going to train someone to do it exactly the way I do it. And what ends up happens, they realize they leave, and then there's that group of people that has to figure out how to sell it internally. Right. There's a group or deliver on it. <laughs> yeah, right? And, and all of a sudden, uh, you get to what I call the, the worst deal in the world for someone that's in scale. I, I think at any point, a big opportunity that's stalled. It's so big, I can't ignore it, but it's requiring so much resources, right. time to develop it. I start wondering, is it really worth it? Not only the amount of time, but the opportunity costs on others. So I say, hey, get this part of your upfront discovery process establish what matters to them. I think we all understand that. Understand how to make your differentiation relevant to them. I didn't know I had to care about which faucet the guy's going to clean his paintbrushes at, but now I do. Right. If, if anyone showed up here, you know, I got a neighbor that's uh, always, you have those neighbors that always has a guy. I got a guy. Right. I got a guy for this. And this guy's cheap. That was, that's my neighbor's standard. Cheap. I go, well, cheap. I got to run around cleaning up after them. And by the time they get done, I got like two days to get ready for it. No, 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 that's not my standard. And so yet you have to find a way to make it relevant to this person and recognize as a founder, what's been relevant to your, your network might not be relevant to your target market. So that's the upfront part, but I think it sets up everything after that. Make yeah. what you do that's different, relevant to a broader audience. And I think the key to that is discovery whether it's live, whether it's on your website, whether it's through some other form of marketing that you do, whether it's social media, how are you going to make what you do different? My wife's company, she, she's doing monogram clothing. Might not make a lot of sense in the North down here. It's everything. But put a monogram on everything. I know you got a child in Alabama, just like I do. I'll monogram the goddamn car. You know, 100%. If, yeah, if it moves, monogram it, right? But but what she's looking for is not to do monogram. She's trying to create a brand. This is wearing those kind of clothes makes a statement about you. And so everybody that does that on their website 
it's upfront pictures of a monogram. It's here's a here's a quarter zip. Here's a some luggage, whatever. Hers are all twenty somethings, more mature people having fun, happening to be wearing product or using some of their product. And so she's trying to figure out a way. At the beginning of a startup, go to the friends. Everybody in the family is like monogram. <laughs> God forbid you have a baby because that baby is going to be monogram, the diaper, you, you, you name it, right? But to grow that business, she's got to get beyond that. And what she's realized is knowing us and trying this stuff out, and hey, it's better than I thought. She needed to get a different message out there. She looked at her competitors and they're all about the stitch count and the patterns and all that. She said, the brand is wide open for this to be about fun. Even in her marketing, it's sassy and classy. And that's, she knows she's going for a niche, but she's translated that branding into her website, her merchandising, and she's even enabled social to find, hey, user-generated content. Shoot me your pictures of you having fun, going on your plane with your cool monogram, back, whatever. That, that, that's just an example of operationalizing that differentiation into the way you appeal to a different market. Yeah. And it comes back full circle to say how you execute it. And now customers are using your product and showing and telling other people that they're excited to be using your product without it being a pitch. And I do want to be respectful of your time, but I do want to touch on one other area that you just beautifully transitioned us into is I would say the old days of B2B, you could, you could cover a lot of ground with cold calling and just pure brute strength and numbers. But with digital first, we're finally there and I don't think we're ever going back, right? What that founder or the paint company could sell in the discovery what do they need to do digitally to even get to the point to have that conversation? Because most of the time they're going to look at reviews if it's a painting company, but even in the B2B world, there's going to be other people that are talking about. So any, leave us with some knowledge on how do yeah, we start real, to translate that? On that. And this is where my work with people that buy for a living starts to come into play. Okay. First thing is to recognize everyone's standard has been raised significantly in the last year. And it, it's been going this way for a long time. Back in the 70s, when I learned selling, you know what they told me? The big question they asked the, the senior level, most part, what keeps you up at night? Oh, yes. You ask that today, people are like, seriously? Have you been like frozen in a glacier for the past 40 it years? It happens on LinkedIn though. Yeah, well, maybe it does, right? Well, I'll tell you, I get every single day, 50 emails, hey, found you, would love an opportunity to talk to you about what we do and see how that might help you. Dude, do your home. First of all, you know, most of them I get are, use us to help you drive more leads. And I said, if you do that well, you would not be targeting me. <laughs> so you're gone. Expectations way higher. All right. Target that differentiation you know that you have and I believe whether it's web, whether it's digital, whether it's outreach, have the focus be on a set of questions or an issue that's really relevant and topical right now, all right? Look what doctors did with telemed, yeah. right? I don't know about you. I, the last thing I thought I'd ever do was talk to a doctor on Zoom and they'd tell me what's going on. But the reality is when I looked at my alternative, this was the best way. And I found I could get a lot done with that. 
Yeah. And all of a sudden things changed. And so when you tie it back to what to look for in the experience, expectations are much higher. I expect you to know something about me and make the first 30 seconds relevant to something you know that I care about or believe I care about. If, uh, if the world has changed in my space, start with that. What others that do what you do have found Tim is, boom. Or if I live in a regulated environment, something's changing out there that you need to pay attention to. Or I know one of your biggest competitors just got breached and I know it's top of mind for you. I don't, I don't have to conduct a live call with you to know some of what will matter to you. Right. So I target that from the very beginning and let you know, I'm not just some Joey bag of donuts showing up saying, would you please give me some of your time that I can pop up, maybe sell something to you? No, you've done your work before you call me and you're talking about something that's highly relevant. Even if I'm not interested at that moment, I will likely respond. If it's just a blind, it could tell I'm on a mailing list, junk mail. Yeah, no, I 100% with you. And like, and I'll even reach out to them like, does this ever work? I mean, does this pitch ever actually work on anybody? But I'm beyond that. You can imagine me. I send them, if this is not working, let me give you a website to go to. And, uh, you know, I think we can help you. Well, and I think too, you know, that's another good transition a little bit, but still talking about the value and how you connect with folks and Obviously, with with I'm familiar with with your business and one of your best lead sources, I'm guessing, is the people that have gone through your training and programs, then bring it to other companies and it spreads. And then now with content, right, you're coming on this podcast, but you guys are also really big with the content and solving problems and adding value. So people are starting to get connected, may not know they have a problem at the point in time, but guess what? you're out there educating people on what that problem is. And it's life is so much easier when people are coming to you versus you having to go to them. And, you know, I just look at the last stat that I've read, which I can't believe I haven't known this from all the years we've been in the demand gen space that only 3% of your target buying market is actively buying at the time you're, you're reaching out to them. So if you're using hundred percent outbound sales to try to connect with that 3%, really expensive, probably not very efficient. So like I said, I think you guys were a little ahead of your time with the value-based prop that you had across the board, but digital now is like, to your point, is is helping you guys more than hurting because people are now trusting and looking for that content. Well, and that's the last part of digital is have all the pieces connect together. It used to be, I could have a, uh, you know, a business development rep out pounding with one message. And maybe I could get away with having my website say something else. And I could have social featuring something else. I've got the opportunity now to bring that all together with a consistent aligned message. And if that's what I'm going to establish my brand around, great. For us, it's selling effectiveness. And so you look at our podcast, you look at what we do with social, you look at what we do in marketing on our website. It's all around that thing. And our general theme is your numbers, you know, your quotas haven't gone down. Right. right. So you better find some ways to be able to be effective in this environment. And, and you could you could you could spin it from there. But I think that's just such a, a really important concept in today's world where my expectations are. I have really high expectations. I'm going to get one consistent message from you, and it's going to be relevant to me because old school Brett. That you talked about was 
If only 3% are buying at any given time, what I'm going to do, that means if we call 100 customers today, only three of them are going to be actively buying. So if I get five BDRs to make 100 calls each today, I can get, by calling on 500 customers, I can get 15 that are possibly buying today. And so it's a volume kind of thing, which actually is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy. To get to those hundred, I have to be so generic. It's just about getting dials and contacts. The quality is nowhere. What do you find? I know it defies logic, right? But you know this, you've you've run those kind of organizations before. What if I had to make 30 dials, but I had them take one hour and target a market and figure out the right things that are focused on that market. And that's where we start on. And what if I ended up getting four people? 30 calls to get four people that are buying today. 100%. Look what I've, I've just raised my number to 20 and I'm doing a third of the activity, but it's a more targeted focus activity. And that's a, maybe the biggest example to, to kind of wrap this up of a founder being willing to look themselves in the mirror and say, what got me here before sheer volume is not going to get me where I need to go going forward. Am I willing to make those adjustments? Those that do usually thrive. Those that don't have a lot of challenges. Yeah, they may power their way through, but the stats say most of them won't. So if this is the way you're going to do it, automate and you know, carry that message. Because you're right, I think there's no quicker way to lose credibility that, hey, you and Tim and I just had a good conversation. Man, I really liked what he was saying. No, let's use the paint company. Great conversation. I go to the website and it's like a 1980s, picture, the quality looks crap. It just completely disconnected that message for me. And he's going to have to work really hard to get that credibility back. Or if on the flip side, the the website looks good, then I talk to you and you have no idea what you're talking about or you lost most of the time. Well, my neighbor up the street, when I've called on guys, his guys show up in a beat up old truck. They got some tobacco going, you know, and they they walk right. Yeah, it's going to be about uh, $1,000. This guy's got an iPad. He's taking notes, taking pictures. Got a proposal right there. Does this look good to you, Tim? If it reflects what we said, sign here. We're going to get this. I'm going to go. We'll have a time for you in the next half hour. As we've been talking, an email came through. I love that the guy that has a guy, right? maybe it's cheap, but I like this because I know if I want to make adjustments, we can now do it electronically at my convenience instead of that guy having to show up and say, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. And then you love it. I'll, I got to give you one story because you really appreciate this. So we had, there was actually a guy kind of going door to door in the neighborhood talking about, you know, new roofs, the neighborhood's 25, 20, 25 years old. So you're getting there, but there was some hail damage that had gone through. And basically my son, you know, I'm not in the market. I don't want to put a new roof on the house. I think it's fine. He's like, Oh, by the way, I worked with your neighbor down there. We got it through insurance. It was a hundred percent and basically, a long story short, he's now replaced roofs on probably 15 of the houses in these 34 of the neighborhood. And what he wasn't selling is the roof. He's like, look, there's other people that do roofs. We do a good quality job with our roofs, but we work with the insurance to make sure that process is easy. We get it through without any issues. And he got four referrals from me after coming through and managing that aspect of the process. And then my neighbor who went with a different company got stuck in insurance. They couldn't get it. The guy used a drone to go look at the roof. The insurance company said no. 
So long story short, he, his value wasn't about the roof, which is still important, but it was like, man, we can help you get this through the insurance. Yep. This is what we do. This is what I do. I'm like, I even approached him like, man, you should set up a company outside of this. It just manages working through it. But I was just, he found a different way to do it. Again, I'm still not a huge fan of the the door to door and I probably wouldn't have, but it was one of my other neighbors that actually had done it. And it just, the word of mouth started spreading. And so crazy. All right, Tim. So, so I know, I think last time you did this, I think I started the podcast. I was asking like 10 questions at the end. Now I've got it drilled down to one. And that is, what is one thing you, Tim Cato, would highly recommend? It could be professional, personal, you know, what's top of mind? For well, you? I referenced it be- before, Brett, but I-, I think this spans both business and personal. And that to me is one of the biggest characteristics of people that are successful by their standards is that willingness to look yourself in the mirror and say, what can I do? to take what's really served me well and be willing to make adjustments to it. I just, I just think you've got kids. I got kids trying to help them learn, you know, two of mine are at the early stages of their career. I got one that's been out in the marketplace, um, you know, calling on car dealerships right now on behalf of a software company that sells a, a platform for running a dealership. But I've said, great, you've been at this now about eh, not quite a year. Two things, what's working well, what's still a challenge. And then he's, of course, you know, having been in the car with me forever, he knows where they're going. So what are you going to do on those things you want to change? But I flipped him on. I said, what are the things that are working really well? Do you think you need to change? He said, well, wait a minute. That's a trick question. You know, I, yeah. that's working really well for me. Yeah, it is now. How many times when you walked in that dealership for the first time, you say, I'm here, I'm new, I'm just trying to introduce myself, get to know you. He said, everyone. How many times do you get to say that? Once. Yeah. You show up the second time and say, I'm just trying to get to know you. If I'm a dealer, I'm saying, wasn't that last time? (laughs) Right. Yeah, good point. Seriously, I'm an existing, I've been a customer of your companies for 20 years. And you don't know that about me already. I expect you to show up with some information, with some insight. And he said, those rare moments, Brett, he said, that's actually a pretty good idea. (laughs) I'm like, stop the car. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I succeeded. (laughs) I I all of a sudden got smart again. Uh, Uh, But so that's my recommendation is be willing to look at what's worked well and challenge it. Yeah, it's such good advice. I mean, I've been following that. Like I said, when we started this podcast, I thought I knew everything there was about B2B and go to market and smart people like you. But 100 episodes later and working more in the startup world, there's a lot of things that are working now that wouldn't have worked five years ago, definitely not 10 years ago. And you have to have that open mind to challenge what's working, what's not working. The world's changing. So how do you stay? So I think that's, that's really, really like, that's like, you probably figured out that spec of the first guy, you know, I clearly could do better. You found 99 others, (laughs) but always come back. So I do want to have you back on before we get to to 200, because I do want to touch base that we're, you know, we, I think we see the light at the end of the tunnel here with the pandemic and we'll get to a, I don't think there's going to be a back to normalcy. I think we've got a new normal and the world's going to operate. The economy is going to operate differently. Businesses are going to up. So I'd love to have you back on in a, a few more months just to kind of talk about 
you guys made that pivot. But lastly, I'm sure the folks are going to, there's going to be folks that want to reach out and learn more about you and where to connect with you. What's, what's the best place for them to do that? Well, again, the company is Force Management. Our website, forcemanagement.com, right? The best way to find us, all the resources. I mean, there, there's, I told you, there's a lot on there from a blog standpoint, white papers, topical areas, things we do. You can find me on there um, when you go to the about us kind of section, email tcato, T-C-A-I-T-O at forcemanagement.com. But we awesome. are, we're out there. I know we got LinkedIn, Instagram, all those kind of kind of places. And I, I'm probably going to get hooted on for not knowing exactly what those are, <laughs> but we're everywhere. You no, type you in force it. management, you will find us. Yeah. Highly recommend you check out their content because again, as we talked, we were, we covered quite a bit of ground, but there's some details, some tools. Tim is one of the best in the industry at doing this in 40 years. That's hard to believe. I mean, I've been, well, years I, you know, I'm probably being a little generous. There has probably been a little bit more than that, but we won't go there. I'll give you a tease for next time we talk. Okay. Coming out of this time period. It's not that selling's changed. It's that buying has changed and we need to adjust the selling we do to that. So we'll talk about that next time. That's awesome. Tim, I always appreciate it. Uh, Good chatting with you. Roll Tide. Roll, Roll Tide. Who else we got in Michigan still? Yeah, alive. go blue. Got to throw my go blue in there too. So, And believe we'll it or see. not, it's not even football season when we're talking about those two programs. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bizarro world. There's more examples. Yeah, awesome, Tim. Thank you very much. Great chatting with you. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you in the near future. See you then. All right. Bye all. Bye.